In a world ruled by emotion, where reason is abandoned, God is forsaken, and history forgotten, two brave men will attempt to do the unthinkable. Use their brains. Armed with ancient wisdom, they will bring light into our modern world. This is the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, and I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Evan. What's up, y'all? Before we begin, I'd just like to say that this episode is dedicated to all the teachers that told us we'd never amount to nothing, to all the people that lived in the building that we were recording the podcast in front of and called the police on us when Evan was just trying to make some money to feed his daughter, and all the scandals and the struggle. That's who this is dedicated to, you know what I'm saying? To the homies who never had a chance. Never. So what is this episode all about? Well, it is about masculinity's last stand. Rap music, of course. What are the things we're going to cover on today's episode? Well, let's find out. What happened to masculinity? A brief history of the decline. Why is masculinity disappearing from popular culture? The manly origins of rap music is what we'll cover next. After that, the masculine characteristics of rap music, followed by how and why rap replaced rock as the mainstream masculine expression starting in the 1990s. Who is the most masculine rapper to date? We'll have a, a little debate between us. How did the poets of different eras view masculinity? Then we'll talk about the social standing of poets then and now. Big difference. Spoiler alert. And lastly, we will ask, is rap music showing signs of feminization? All right. So what has happened to modern masculinity and why is it disappearing from popular culture? I think it's safe to say modern masculinity is in crisis. The harsh nature of life before the modern era demanded that men act in very specific ways in order to ensure survival. At each stage of mankind's development, from extended family to tribe to village to city to nation and to empire, the quality of a group's men determine the quality of life and the overall health of any given group. Much of this is due to biology. Over millions of years, men developed as the fighters, hunters, protectors, providers, and keepers of order. That was and is their biological role, and they are well suited to it. And because conflict with natural predators or with other groups was inevitable, men became the natural leaders as humans evolved. Societies became more complex and competition for resources increased. And with this increased complexity came the need for men to diversify and master new skills in order to continue to lead and to ensure they remained one step ahead of other groups who were competing for the same resources. Hunting and fighting gave way to things like farming, lawmaking, preaching, blacksmithing, and even songwriting. That was necessary, that you needed to keep up morale, you know? How many, uh, how many songs do you know uh, just from... You know, the, the, the military, you know, the, the old, I don't know, but I've been told that sort of thing. Oh. That, that's, you know, that, that's something that, uh, that militaries do and, and men do. They have to have song in order to keep spirits up. Have you seen that YouTube video? It's like the oldest song ever. Oldest that, that, song ever. Yeah, some like Mesopotamian flute thing, and it's just it's really weird. Um, I've never heard that. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, it's kind of like pathetic by our modern standards. Just, but but considering <laughs> that was probably like the first song, that's pretty good, right? Just imagining people raving to that. <laughs> In the mosh pit. Yeah. According to The Art of Manliness, a popular blog, historical masculinity could be summarized as three things, protect, provide, and procreate. To protect your family or tribe from aggression and the violence of nature, to provide enough resources to survive and thrive, 
and to produce children were the three things that all cultures identified with manliness. Now, as Jack Donovan explains in his book, The Way of Men, which was also reviewed on uh, Art of Manliness, I believe, men uh, of every era all across the globe have prioritized what he calls the four tactical virtues, which are strength, courage, mastery, and honor. In Donovan's view, the four virtues came into being out of necessity. These were the virtues which, if attained, would prove to other men that you were dependable when times were tough. In other words, strength, courage, mastery, and honor are what men need from each other when they are in the trenches. Even those who did not hunt or fight or even lead could achieve success among other men by embodying the manly virtues, which were still applicable to other aspects of life, and made dealing with other men easier. As civilizations advanced, other virtues were derived from the main four, such as spirituality, moral character, confidence, or even humor and wit, just to name a few there. And since men naturally establish hierarchies in every industry, uh, as it is the most efficient way to organize and divide labor, this expanded blueprint for masculine virtue became a sort of currency among men. Mastery of the virtues equaled respect from other men, which equaled mobility in society. Fast forward to the current year, and all of man's progress has culminated in the creation of a world where those manly virtues are seemingly obsolete. For most men, life is easy, food is plenty, real struggle is hard to come by, war is fought by technology in far-off lands, machines make everything more and more efficient. You get the idea. Back in the day, masculinity was necessary for bare survival and later for the success of a city or state in the face of equally masculine enemies. But what about now? Westerners like us have relatively little to worry about, and as a result, our masculinity has atrophied. So why is masculinity disappearing from popular culture? Some changes we have observed in modern or in Western men are the natural result of advancing technology. But there is actually growing hostility toward masculinity in men in general. And most of it is coming from academia, popular entertainment, and lastly, big business. Of course, that last one is only capitalizing on the business opportunity provided by the first two. As Western civilization entered the digital age, in the 80s and 90s, self-help workshops and men's retreats began to grow in popularity as a reaction to the feminization and sterilization of the workplace, entertainment, middle-class lifestyle, and the growing realization that men were slowly becoming drones in a vast machine. And I would just say that the epitome of the feminization of the middle-class lifestyle is the yeah. emergence of the man cave. Oh, yeah? That's a <laughs> symptom, you, say, you it's, think? It's a symptom both men pathetically trying to reassert their pathetic masculinity in this case yeah. by having like a just a bunch of beer and a place to watch their football or video games or video or, games yeah to have a retreat from the house instead of the whole house being a manly place that they can relax in yeah they kind of swing over to this like way opposite side of like I, even the na in the name is cave you know so they've gone from a very feminized world and then they retreat into like the, like the caveman days of super uber masculinity where instead of you kind of striking a balance and making the whole house man manly is, is what you're yeah, kind of saying would yeah, be the it's, it's their own thing. house you know and they they're treating it like the the woman owns the house and they get a little like dark a uh, wet corner somewhere yeah it's i, I not could good. i could see that as a problem and i do agree that that's a that's a very prominent symptom indeed 
So great examples of this reaction include the book Iron John, a book about men by the poet Robert Bly, published in 1990, which spent 62 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and became a significant part of the mythopoetic men's movement. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk's 1996 novel Fight Club and the movie made three years later, which inspired real-life underground boxing matches worldwide. And the noticeable shift in the tone of mainstream rap music starting in the 90s, which were originally playful and fun lyrics, but the subject matter gave way to grittier and more violent and mature content. Let me say that from personal experience. It's a little devotional, a little. Oh, yeah, yeah. Evan's <laughs> jumping up on his soapbox, but it's okay because this is a good one. From personal experience, the workplace of corporate America is governed by feminine ways. And I have only worked in places where men are the vast majority of employees and bosses. Whereas decades ago, men often screamed at each other, used inappropriate expletive language, threw politeness by the wayside, and made obscene remarks about women all at work, not to mention what they did with their friends afterward. Men today can be reported to HR for being rude and insensitive, and can wind up with a sexual harassment charge for obscene remarks about women. Not to mention the constant pushing of PC agendas, especially the LGBTQIA plus and BIPOC advocacy, which I must say seems to all come from a white, middle-aged, suburban, upper-middle-class liberal woman. Karens. Karens, indeed. Now, I'm not saying that I want Todd Packer types in the office. As in the show The Office. Do you know him? Yeah, I didn't quite catch that reference when I looked at it in the notes. Who's Todd Packer? Todd Packer is in the show The Office. He's just this – he doesn't come in the scene often, but he's this uh, salesman who just makes all these obscene remarks about women and gay people all the time, <laughs> like to their face. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's – everyone hates him besides the boss. Oh, besides Steve Carell? Yeah, everyone hates him because he's just so obnoxious. Now, I would say that definitely in the white-collar jobs, that's definitely the case with the whole HR thing. And Obviously, you can get Me Too'd in any industry, but there are still places where you can still say a lot of expletives at work. I happen to work at a place where you can do that, (laughs) thankfully, and in an industry where you can do that. Uh, Definitely in the the trades and the blue-collar area of the economy, you know, you can definitely get away with a lot of that. And that's probably not going to go away. I mean, that's where your hardest, toughest men usually are. And they're going to curse and they're going to say derogatory things and say dirty jokes. So there's still a, a a small place where that can happen, but it's shrinking. Indeed. And I don't want Todd Piker types. I don't, I don't want people just like, you know, doing sexual harassment or assault at work, obviously. But, you know, sometimes you go too far in the other direction. While men sought outlets for their natural aggression and their frustrations in an increasingly peaceful and sensitive world, these changes did not go unnoticed. Cultural critics were quick to brand these examples and others with the label toxic masculinity, (gasps) meaning conformity to traditional male gender roles with emphasis on competition, dominance, homophobia, misogyny, greed, and violence, which, come to think about it, is everything rap music stands for. (laughs) Yeah. Um, think of it as a pendulum. As technology progresses, making masculinity more obsolete, the pendulum swings right. Men naturally resist this and figure out ways to correct it. For example, with self-expression, fighting, weightlifting, learning about masculinity, rapping, joining gangs, resisting feminization and feminism, etc. And the men's right, rights movement. Yes. 
and then the pendulum swings the other way. Academics and entertainers witness this and critique it, and the pendulum goes back and forth. Yet with each swing, both sides become more entrenched in their beliefs and work harder to resist the other side. Now in the ultra-sensitive, insulated bubbles of academia and Hollywood, the concept of toxic masculinity has found a home among other flavors of cultural Marxism, such as intersectionality, critical race theory, radical feminism, all that jazz. Now, both science and entertainment must include these ideas or risk being shunned from the mainstream. And big business has picked up on this, incorporating these popular ideas into their advertisements and products in order to make money and to avoid being criticized in the media as a brand that doesn't care about women, gender issues, other social issues. And here are some examples. So let's run through these real quick and uh, tell me what you think of these, Evan. So there was the removing of the brawny paper towel man, and uh, they changed it to a woman for a time. And when that came out, I was like, okay, that's a little ridiculous. And then it just kind of kept going. The recent <laughs> – it's, it's too funny. The recent football is gay slash lesbian slash trans football is for everyone slogan for the NFL. Now, you saw that advertisement, right? I heard all about it. Yeah, during Pride Month. Uh, artist Martin Furl's billboards commemorating 50 years of gay liberation with bold text saying things like this, renounce the monster male, overturn the ideology of hetero male supremacy, and homosexuals and women are systematically oppressed by male supremacist society. Iceland, uh, there's an Iceland nursery school uh, where little girls uh, were taught how to do dangerous stunts and yell, I'm strong while boys massaged each other with lotion and used gentle hands. I don't even know what gentle hands is. <laughs> I don't either, and I don't want to know. That's uh, sick. That's it, that's my least favorite one on all, of all these. It is kind of disgusting, you know? Like, if adults do that, it's one thing, but you're, like, teaching kids to do this. Uh, yeah, I'm not down for it. <laughs> uh, then there's the female characters in movies that have little or no struggle and are naturally good at most things. Uh, they call these Mary Sues, like Ray from Star Wars, Captain Marvel, the live-action Mulan... Uh, Bella from Twilight, Anastasia Steele from Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, while males are usually portrayed as bumbling idiots, weak, or they lack character or conviction. Uh, for example, the Ghostbusters remake, and a lot of the Marvel guys are just played for laughs, like especially Thor. You know, I'd say you really just touched the top of the iceberg on that one, because it's almost every show and movie, You like most of the men are deficient, either pathetic or... Or, or like evil in some way. Yeah, or like sitcom dads. That's Sitcoms the are the worst. Yeah. I mean, have you seen Friends? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it all. Let me just say, those Joey is somehow the most admirable man man in that <laughs> yeah that pathetic <laughs> series. Yeah, I mean, he. I enjoy the series. I think it's funny, but I can step back and realize, like all. Obviously, you can't make a funny show about nice people, really. So, like, they all have to be pretty terrible, honestly. It'd be one thing if they were mean, but just they're so whiny. Like, yeah. Ross and uh, Chandler are just yeah the worst. Poor me. I'm yeah. so, you know, things are just going too well for me, I think Ross says at one point. Yeah, very whiny. You're right. But why was uh, why was Joey so, so much better, you think? Joey, at least, I wouldn't call him a moral character, but he was very likable and affable, you could say. Yeah. And also, he had success with women. A lot of success, yes. And he just had a good personality. Like, he wasn't whiny. He and he jumped. would do things that were, like, do nice things for people. Like, he would stick up for people. And yeah. he uh, he would defend his sisters when Chandler was trying to get with, like, all of his Italian sisters that he kept getting confused with. <laughs> and he would, like, fight people. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I think this all began with uh, The Simpsons. Yes, actually. tell me about that. I saw a video about it by uh, Bishop Robert Barron a long time ago, but you know, Simpsons been around forever. Yeah, and you know, Homer Simpson, the dad, is just this. He just started this whole trend of the dad or the adult man is just a bumbling idiot, irresponsible, drunk, just wants to do these these things that are not admirable, incompetent. Yes. Whereas his wife, Marge, is, you know, a, a great woman. Yeah, he uh, doesn't he work at a nuclear power plant and always causes a disaster. Yeah, he's he's in the control room, but he just sleeps and eats donuts all day. Yeah, not a very good male role model. And since then, like, sitcoms and cartoons and stuff have just portrayed adult men as the same way. Yeah, and commercials, too. Commercials, it's really bad. And then there's uh, some other examples. Lastly, uh, Drag Queen Story Hour. You get women's marches. Uh, Forbes article from April 3rd, 2019. What if toxic masculinity is the reason for climate change? And then there's the Me Too movement, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, and its efforts to ban handshakes in the workplace for fear of sexual harassment claims. The list really is unending. To be fair, I I don't shake hands with women. Really? Yeah. I'll shake every man's hand, but I will not shake a woman's hand. I'm Hmm. too fearful. I can see the the political hit pieces now when you run for president. Evan doesn't shake hands with women. I mean, I won't even spend alone time with a woman who's not my wife or a family member. Oh, yeah, the Mike Pence rule. Originally the Billy Graham rule. Oh, really? He started it? Yeah. But, yeah, Mike Pence does it. All right, so let's go to rap music now. Like so many great things in life, rap music has humble origins. New York City, especially the Bronx, is the origin point for rap. Young black men would entertain, compete with, and even insult each other by making rhymes and songs in a spoken word style. It was a microcosm of the four tactical virtues strength, hanging out on the dangerous city streets or with the men of your gang, courage, making music in front of friends or strangers for them to judge and challenge, mastery, perfecting your rap skills, punchlines, jokes, or stories, and honor, using your performance to honor your friends and dishonor your enemies. In addition, rappers often often mention protecting themselves and their homies with firearms, having plenty of dough to provide for themselves and the ones who never had a chance, and doing the act of procreation often. Yeah, like um, uh, who was it recently that welcomed his like seventh child or something this year by like the fourth or fifth different woman? I don't uh, know. Oh, it's I'll come back to it uh, if I remember it. But you you go ahead on. I'll, I'll think of it. Around the same time, disc jockeys at block parties held in African-American communities would play the percussion breaks from popular songs on repeat. This is when scratching was developed to spice up the beats. On top of the beat or in between songs, the master of ceremonies MC would pump up the crowd, encourage dancing, and sometimes chant or rap other phrases or lyrics in a way similar to the impromptu toasting tradition of Jamaica. It was Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon? Yes, Nick Cannon. Uh, The street gang elements combined with the block party elements to create modern rap music. The rapper Africa Bombada even formed the organization Universal Zulu Nation to help members of the Black Spades gang channel their energies into hip-hop instead of crime. However, during the New York City blackout of July 13th and 14th of 1977, acts of looting and theft in the Bronx area resulted in the widespread distribution of stolen DJ equipment which may have aided in the spread of these block parties, rapping, and the hip-hop style in general. With the help of Bombada and other pioneers like Curtis Blow, 
Grand Wizard Theodore, Grandmaster Flash, Jazzy J, and Cool Herc, rap was really taking off by the end of the decade. What really cemented the genre was Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight in 1979. The song was recorded in one single take, sampling the beat from Sheik's Good Times, and reached number 36 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. And strangely enough, it reached number one in Canada, Netherlands, and Spain. (laughs) Kind of weird. The genre continued to grow as technology progressed, granting easy access to beat making and recording equipment to more and more people, including yours truly. Uh, But I'm not a rapper. Just to clarify. All right, so what are some of the masculine characteristics of rap music that we... That we haven't really mentioned all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so rap music almost always includes a number of things. Money. Of course, got to get rich. Drugs. Promethazine with codeine. Uh, Zan with that lean. Molly and Percocet, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Gang references. Uh, Little Wayne says, my flag red in, um, uh, what's that one with uh, Busta Rhymes? Yeah. And uh, Chris Brown. Women and sex. we That's a never-ending list. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's too many to even to even reference. Violence against women or other men. Yes, very common. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head right now. But uh, I don't know. If you can think of some, go ahead. But I can't without getting banned. <laughs> yeah. uh, hating enemies and hating the system. Yes, especially when you talk about the, the East Coast, West Coast rap feuds of the 90s huge heat and huge diss tracks being thrown at, at one side versus the other and, you know, basically resulted in the deaths of Tupac and Biggie. Okay, protecting territory and resources? Uh, refer to what I just said. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> Political and social commentary, less so. Less so, but occasionally, you know, they would, they would well, not occasionally. I mean, they would talk about the, the status of the black community and the state of the war on drugs. And yeah, there's like God Bless America by Lil Wayne. Yes. It's old Godless America. Uh, that's that's an example. Uh, you know, the the old the, the rappers of the 90s really did a lot with that, I think. And last but not least, humor and jokes, which we might mention there are not many uh, female comedians yes. out there. So humor is a very masculine trait. It is. And even the successful female comedians have much to be desired if you ask me i would agree and the successful female rappers leave much to be desired as well (laughs) but you know one last point on that is um humor and jokes is really all it seems to be now in the age of mumble rap you know a lot of the more important stuff the, the social political commentary has gone by the wayside and other than a few rappers here and there talking about real issues a lot of it is just guys just trying to one-up each other and brag on each other and talk about how much money they have even though they just released a mixtape. I mean, the whole genre is a joke, so I guess that's funny. (laughs) There you go. I guess you're right. How and why rap replaced rock as the mainstream form of masculine expression from the 90s onward. Let's talk about that. I hate to quote Vice News. I really do. But a 2018 article by Dan Ozzy explains that rock has waned in popularity because music has traded real instruments for computers. Advertising has become more prevalent and tends to favor pop music uh, anyway. Younger generations will always listen to whatever is more rebellious, and the explicit nature of modern rap and hip-hop is definitely rebellious. Rappers and hip-hop artists are being funded by gigantic brands like Beats by Dre and Apple. It's easier for rap, hip-hop, and pop to cross genres. Nearly every pop song has what John LeJoie calls a token rap verse. 
live performances of rap and hip-hop tend to be flashier and incorporate multimedia that engages the audience. You don't have to be a great singer to sing along with rap either. You don't have to be a great rapper to be a successful rapper. Amen. (laughs) Rock itself also changed in the 90s with the birth of grunge, alternative, Britpop, punk, industrial, new metal, and indie. A lot of these new subgenres took on a more emotional sound. Honestly, they mostly became more whiny and sensitive. I'm sure you would agree oh, with yeah. that, Evan. Especially in the 2000s, which reflected the rising existential angst among men. Compare the rock hits. Just do a little experiment. Compare the rock hits of Van Halen, Kiss, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, The Rolling Stones, Motley Crue, The Who, Jimi Hendrix, to the quote-unquote rock hits of the 90s and 2000s from bands like Green Day, Weezer, Kings of Leon, The Killers, Coldplay, for crying out loud, My Chemical Romance, Blink-182, Linkin Park. I mean, look, we're, we're kind of fans of Linkin Park here on the Sons of Antiquity podcast, but still, there's no contest. I used to these. be a fan of Linkin Park. <laughs> He's a recovering A recovering listener. It's not a phase, Mom. (laughs) Not that these later acts don't have value. Obviously, you know, they've got some good hits, some jams, but their sound just wasn't as masculine. Well, here's a bit of evidence from a 2017 Forbes article by Danny Ross. According to the Nielsen year-end report, Drake's album Views set an all-time record for most streams from an album, this was 2016, with over 245 million streams. There were 12 occurrences where an album's songs had over 100 million auto streams in just a week, led by Drake, J. Cole, The Weeknd, and Beyonce. Chance the Rapper had the first album to surpass 500,000, with streaming only availability. Rock still does well in digital sales, but those digital sales are declining. Lastly, the expression of race-related social commentary also grew during this time, as did demands for the voices of minorities to be heard. Naturally, Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It, was replaced by N.W.A.'s F the Police. And it's essentially the same manly message of making your own rules and giving the middle finger to authority just with a different delivery style. And I do think that's a good point, because if you look at the rock of the 90s and 2000s, let's just submit it, it's a very white-directed music genre. It was. Like, I mean, Linkin Park, you know? Yeah, yeah, very much. Just sounds like a... Emo teenagers hit music. I don't and know. And it was, yeah. And I mean, that's not to say that rock in the like 70s and 80s and like the, what you might call the heyday of classic rock wasn't white dominated. I mean, with the exception of like Hendrix, although that was like early 70s, and, and other acts, um, it was mostly white dudes out there. But that kind of changed in the 90s. And with that change came new forms of music. I will say a lot of rap nowadays is becoming more and more. Um, of a white listener base. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that's actually like scientifically documented that pe- the majority of people who are at rap concerts are white. And Lil yeah. Wayne, I think, has yeah. said that. That's what I was going to say. Lil Wayne had a comment that most of the people at his his concerts were white, and he yeah. was saying that kind of against the whole Black Lives Matter phenomenon, saying, well, you know, whenever I was shot, as he has yeah. a, whenever he was shot and dying in his living room, he, he as made a, a kid, comment. right? I don't remember. He's pretty young, I think. But when he was dying in the living room, he makes that comment in his rap. How ironic, <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they like walked right past him as he's dying, and then like a white police officer was the only person to like be like, "Hey, let's help this kid." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So he was making that point. He's like, yeah, I love the white people. They're the ones who, who buy my music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who is the most masculine rapper to date, Evan? Tell me. Who do you think? It depends on how you define masculine, I guess. Okay. What? Who do you have in mind? I would argue that it's Biggie Smalls, for sure. I yeah. think if you take into account like the tactical virtues, I think he sums up all of that. I think lots of the older rappers would do that. Mm-hmm. They'd fall in that category. The, a lot of the modern ones are just look smoking all the time. Yeah, they're just smoking, and they're really skinny. And the thing about Biggie is that he was a big man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a large fellow, and that is kind of a – like that's okay for a man to be. A man is supposed to be not big and fat, but I'm saying like if he's big, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's more okay than if a woman is big. You know, so Biggie, he's not only physically big, his voice is big. He's got a big presence, a big personality. He's got big money. Everything about him is big and masculine. And and his, his lyrics, obviously. I guess you, if you want to eliminate non-masculine ones, you'd eliminate ones that serenade. Yes. Like the ones where a lot of the audience is female. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to throw shade, but Drake might be an example of that. You know, Ooh, you got. Yeah, that's a hot take. And in, yeah, I agree. In between, uh, in between beating women, uh, Chris Brown would also <laughs> yeah, be an example. He of was that. not canceled for, even though he should have been permanently canceled for that. Uh, and if he was not a rapper, he would have been. Yeah, and maybe. not an African American, he would have been canceled permanently for that. Oh yeah, I mean, maybe he should have been ca- canceled for that. I don't know. I, I'm not saying yeah, he shouldn't have. I mean, I think he should have for sure because that's that's hypocritical to not. And now he's huge. You know, he's as big as he was in the mid 2000s. Now I think still he's still doing concerts. So yeah, I would say. I'd say Biggie's probably the biggest, but runner-ups I would include uh, actual people who actually went through real struggle and who have made it to the top. I would say Jay Z up there. Mm-hmm. I would put him up there. I would put Ice Cube up there as well, and Tupac too. Wouldn't Not you to say Lil Wayne to too. Mm, I mean, no, because he's kind of like, I, and I like Lil Wayne. I really do. Uh, but he he is sort of that newer generation, and he was like the start of of the downfall of rap leading into it. I'm not saying he's a mumble rapper because you can understand Wayne's lyrics and some of them are really funny and really entertaining and some of them are like they, they're a gut punch but he's too he's short mm-hmm. he's 5'5 five five, but he can 6'9 you know and he uh, <laughs> and he's just wheezy that's literally what he calls himself because his voice is so like kind of high pitched and uh, he's just not he's not a top tier as, as for me. What about Eminem? Another one that's that's a good point. I didn't even think about Eminem, and I should have. And he is, he's like kind of a all-encompassing type of masculinity. He has like really vulnerable moments, like when he's cleaning out his closet or with, you know, where he goes kind of like into Edgar Allan Poe territory or O. Henry with uh, Stan or when he just goes into um, Lose Yourself, you know, a really tough, powerful. Barack Obama said that was like his one of his top songs that he listens to when he works out. You wouldn't think that Barack Obama works out to look at him, but apparently he does. And when he listens to uh, Lose Yourself oh. by Eminem, which is a, a, a fire workout song. It is. So I would say, yeah, Eminem is pretty well-rounded, and I would say he's pretty masculine because he's had his fair share of, of struggles, and he's come out on top, and he's pretty tough, and he's <laughs> – I mean, if this counts for anything, he's very anti-LGBT. So oh, is he? Yeah, very. Like, I don't know. I could go probably, into that whole issue at the like the VMAs or whatever. But nowadays, he's he's given into that, don't you think? I mean, probably like in the '90s, he was being. I don't know. I don't know. 
Uh, he was, I mean, and he listened to his lyrics, especially his early lyrics, very anti-gay. So uh, that's that's a collection of some of the masculine rappers. It's up for debate. Yeah. I would say, you know, as time has gone on, the masculinity of rap has decreased, for sure. Yes. So how did the poets of antiquity view masculinity? Because if these men, these rappers are anything, they are truly poets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Homer, as in of the Odyssey and Iliad fame, portrays masculinity in the way it would have been seen in the heroic society he lived in. Back then, every person had a given role and status in their highly determinate system. There was no distinction between a person and his actions. Hospitality to strangers was considered an utmost virtue. Life was fragile and it was an eye-for-eye culture. Passion was seen as uncontrollable when it was too strong. Thus, Hercules was driven mad by, I think, Furies, Mm. and that caused him to kill his family. Or maybe it was a god that drove him mad. And and then the Furies tormented him after the fact. Because oh. the Furies kind of represent guilt mm-hmm. in lots of cases in, in Greek, uh, ancient Greek That's stuff. not to be confused with the Furries. No, Furies. Oh, okay, okay, good. good. I just furries. wanted to clarify there. I don't know which I'd want, but... <laughs> Just be mobbed by a bunch of furries or furies. Oh, that might be worse, I think. (laughs) So the ancient Greek poets accounted for the unpredictability and passions of the world with the invention of the gods or mythical creatures. In the highly stratified uh, stratified society, all the characters know exactly what will bring honor and dishonor to themselves and others. There There is no ambiguity on that. There is no individualist aspect to virtue or masculinity either. Unlike today, mm. to be outside of a society was to be a nobody, and one's honor depended entirely on his perception by others. So it was collective. Yeah, it was your honor with the other people. Mm-hmm. So if you were honored by others, you were an honorable person. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Homeric virtue, synonymous with manliness, centered around warrior values such as physical strength and bravery, uh, and epitomized by Achilles in the Iliad. However, it could be said that Hector was another example of masculinity of Troy uh, because he had to work in order to achieve strength and honor. Yes. That, that, that was... uh, Achilles was just born with it because he's half god. Yeah, yeah. His only weakness was his heel, and he could just run fast and fight, And but Hector had to actually, like, he was a man, right? He was yeah. immortal. Yeah. Right. By the way, vir- virtue comes from the word vir- virtus, 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 depending on how you pronounce it. Is that Greek? That's well. That's Latin. Oh, and there's a word for it in Greek. That's antreia. Oh, but virtus, just like virtue, comes from manliness. Like vir, uh, vir is man. Like I'm virile. I'm virile. Yeah. Yes. That's just an interesting. interesting note. So moving on, thousands of years later, Dante Alighieri wrote. He's the author of the Inferno and also just the Divine Comedy in general and other poems. He wrote with a ver- worldview of Thomistic Catholicism, in other words, through the lens of Aquinas, who was himself reliant on Aristotle and Augustine. His divine comedy has been called the Summa in Verse. Therefore, his conception of masculinity was heavily influenced by Catholicism. While also influenced by the classical tradition, Catholicism tamed the wildness of pagan uh, manliness and directed it towards self-control instead of violence. So, like taking the Viking and like stripping him down and directing his his energy, basically. Exactly. You wouldn't. I mean, the of course the Christian and Catholic worldview would not 
say it was okay to go like rape and pillage villages. Yeah. Even though the pagan cultures would have seen that as a real manly guy. Ah. Yeah, so they redirected to self-control. So instead of cowardice being the cardinal sin of pagan, as it was in pagan society, pride was. However, the four cardinal virtues of prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude are retained in the Catholic worldview, and they come from the classical worldview. And the, they add faith, hope, and charity on top of that. In practical terms, there maintained a huge difference between the roles of the sexes, though both were given the task of getting to heaven. The virtue of fortitude requires that a man have the resolve to do the right thing and withstand physical and spiritual evils. He must also protect his wife and children from evils. In medieval Europe, the chivalrous knight was the perfect example of a manly Christian. He never mistreated the innocent, yet he unleashed his trained fury against evil. Anyways, enough for context. Dante's Inferno shows us examples of what he considers evil or unmanly. These center around the seven deadly sins, but Dante illustrates how grotesque and wicked some of these men are in his tour of hell. The lustful men are pathetic and infatuated with women. They're just kind of like getting blown around, just kind of, I was in love. And they're just in the wind. They're just in the wind. They don't Mm. even like the women much anymore, but they're just attached to them. Mm. And a glutton is described as looking like a pig in life, both before and after death. So he's just a big guy. His his name literally means translates to hog in Italian. That's and awesome. he was a real person. And the unvirtuous man is the man who cannot or does not control his evil inclinations. Chaucer presented various kinds of men in various ways throughout his works. The Canterbury Tales may have been the most diverse uh, array of men that he described as it focuses on the tales told by a group of fictional characters on their way to Canterbury. There are tales told by a knight, a friar, a drunken miller, a merchant, a squire, a pardoner, and a physician, among others. By the titles given to them, it's obvious that much of what defined a man in the time of Chaucer's writing was their profession. Each tale is different from the last, but Chaucer often uses these tales to critique English society at the time, including the church. Whatever opinions he had about the manliness uh, or manliness as a concept, it's safe to say that he wasn't afraid to criticize them in specific instances or criticize how each man plays his role in broader society. It's worth noting that the tale told by the wife of Bath involves a woman revolting against, quote-unquote, the patriarchy, so to speak. Was Chaucer celebrating this woman's acts of liberation or criticizing them? It's open to interpretation. And now let's talk about Shakespeare. Uh, He displayed masculinity in a similar way with great variation from story to story. Compare the evil and lust for power that defines Richard III or Iago from Othello uh, to the pathetically all-consuming love felt by young Romeo, to the near-suicidal vengeance-driven Hamlet, to the foolishness and the humor of Bottom from A Midsummer Night's Dream, and finally to the heroism and humility of Henry V. Now, let me say, uh, Romeo and Juliet is not something to be emulated, according to Shakespeare. Like, everyone thinks, oh, it's so romantic. Yeah. It was a warning. It's a warning story. Like, don't be like this. Yeah, don't don't allow, like, your lust to overcome your reason. Which Even just happens. your passion doesn't have to be lust. Yeah, I guess you your know. passion. Yeah. It was basically about how when you're young, you're kind of dumb, and you do dumb things, and, and they do some dumb things there. Because, oh, yeah. obviously... You know, your families are at war. It's just not a good idea to get involved. 
you know, but they do. And we know what happens to them. Even in a small sampling, it's clear that Shakespeare understood that men are not all chads or virgins, to use the modern phrases. They are truly a mixed bag, capable of great evil and good, failures and triumphs, temptation and willpower. But the central theme running through all of these characters is action. Men act. They do. And Shakespeare understood that. Generally, they are not passive, the men in his stories and plays, and those that are are made to seem weak or spineless or made the butt of a joke on purpose. I'm no expert, but please show me a male Shakespearean protagonist or antagonist, for that matter, who does nothing and wins. I'll wait. Mic drop. (laughs) So let's talk about the social standing of poets then versus now. Men have always been uh, analyzed and measured against one another based on their wealth, their power, and their status. So let's compare the wealth of some of the poets of ye olden days with their modern counterparts. Modern rappers are much wealthier than any poets of antiquity. Before the modern era, entertainers were viewed in a neutral or even a negative light. There was no means of mass media or mass consumption of media, so there was little demand for professional entertainers and no infrastructure to support them or bring them to the average person, maybe in small areas in in dense cities, but not for the majority of people. Going to a play or seeing a circus, etc., were special events, not daily binges. Few people could afford much distraction, and such events were mostly confined to urban centers or royal courts anyway. By contrast, more cities with larger populations, fast and cheap transportation, and instant communication allows rappers to tour across the country and the world, performing sold-out shows in front of thousands or even tens of thousands of fans. Technology allows them to make money by selling digital copies of music or streaming through a service, The demand for music has never been higher. In today's world, you can literally have tens of millions of fans, which was impossible back then. Let's compare the income of some famous poets and see how they stack up against modern rappers. All right, so Shakespeare was by no means poor. In the first decade of his career, he may have sold his plays to a producer for 5 to 11 pounds per play. In modern U.S. dollars, that's about $1,500 to $3,000. He produced 21 plays in the first decade of his career, which altogether probably brought in about 50000 It's estimated that he made about twice that much from his plays in the 10 years that followed, about $100,000. This may not sound like much, but this was more or less his side hustle. He was primarily an actor, and this may have brought in at least £100 a year or $30,000 a year, not including bonuses for court performances. As his career progressed, Shakespeare made significant investments, He was a shareholder in the Globe Theater, erected in 1598, and became a shareholder in the Blackfriars Theater in 1610. Annual payout for a single share in the Globe was about £200 or $60,000. But it is unknown how many shares of either theater Shakespeare may have owned. The money earned from these ventures was later used to purchase properties in Stratford and London, which probably added to his passive income. Smart guy. Yeah, he was making money, wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Dante Alighieri lived in the end of the 1200s and the beginning of the 1300s. He was born to a noble Florentine family that was no longer wealthy. He became involved in the politics of Florence, but this cost him his freedom as he was exiled from the city on trumped-up charges and lived the rest of his life in Ravenna. Florence confiscated all of his property. He finished the Divine Comedy a year before his death. Wow. Some of his other poems were popular in his time. It's safe to say that Dante was not a rich man in his later life. His remains are still in Ravenna, by the way. Florence has been trying to get it back for hundreds of years. 
Wow. But Ravenna said, you denied him in life, so we deny him to you in death. Oh, man. Another mic drop moment. Goodness gracious. Geoffrey Chaucer was born about 200 years prior to Shakespeare to a wealthy family which made its fortune in the wine business, so he wasn't necessarily raised in the streets. He had money before he started spitting bars. It is believed that he attended St. Paul's Cathedral School and probably read Virgil and Ovid, among other classical literature. He got a job as a public servant to Countess Elizabeth of Ulster and made enough for food and clothing. He, he fought in the Hundred Years' War and was captured, but King Edward III paid his ransom. He became part of the royal service after that, traveling Europe on diplomatic missions, which earned him a pension. He got married, then became one of King Edward's esquires. While working to establish a port in Genoa, he studied Dante and Petrarch. Smart. After success abroad, he was granted the title of comptroller or head accountant of customs. His title, combined with his wife's royal connections, meant he was now making fat stacks. Oh, yeah. He petitioned the king for some vacation time and took a few years off to study his passion, poetry. When his wife died and his main income source dried up, he had to scramble to publish some of his work to pay off his growing debts. Near the end of the 14th century, Chaucer held the position of clerk of works and was robbed twice by highwaymen. Call him Warren G. He was Warren G., really. <laughs> After Richard II was deposed and Henry IV rose to power, the king took pity on poor old Chaucer and gave him his pension back, which allowed him to live modestly for the last two years of his life. As for any other poets living before medieval times, it's difficult to assess their wealth. Records are not as reliable or exact, and are fewer and further between the further we look back. However, it is safe to assume that anyone who made a career out of poetry or song before the Renaissance must have been employed by the wealthier elite or been a part of the royal court or family. Otherwise, they simply would not have been able to make enough money to survive. Contrast these fairly recent examples with the rappers of today. In the time of ancient uh, Greek and Roman poets, anywhere from 2,500 to 2,000 years ago, poetry was a passion, not a profession. 1,500 years later, a talented, lucky man could make a decent career out of being an entertainer. And now, in 2021, you can literally become a billionaire, as we're about to find out. The rappers with the highest net worth are as follows. Now keep in mind that these are estimates and uh, it's not like a top 10 list. Some of these people could be interchanged for others, but it's because appraisal of property and values and brands is not always an exact science. So here are some of the highest ranking ones. Not a comprehensive list, but here we go. Snoop Dogg, $150 million net worth. Pharrell Williams, $150 million. Lil Wayne, same thing. Drake, $180 million. Usher, $180 million. Then it goes up a little bit. Master P, $250 million. Jumps way up for Dr. Dre to $800 million. Uh, Diddy, who is, everybody knows, he's a wheeling and dealing. He's making money all over the place, different investments. $880 million. And he even offered to buy the Carolina Panthers at one point. He wanted to buy them, the franchise. Hmm. Then there's Jay-Z at $1 billion, who I thought was the richest rapper, but there is one more above him, and it is, drumroll please, Kanye West, $1.5 to $2 billion network. Okay, I don't believe that one. You don't? I think, I mean, wasn't he about bankrupt a few years ago? Yeah, but Yeezys are so popular. 
Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> no, they are. I mean, people buy them. People wear his his uh, his clothing line like sells out immediately. Anytime he releases new things, like he released that big blue puffy jacket that looked like a, a life vest, and it sold out within like five seconds. Everybody wants to buy his stuff, and even though he's really controversial and has been very controversial in the last few years, uh, even if he's not, even if he's worth half that, he's still pretty freaking rich. Yeah, if you look at the top four that you mentioned. They didn't get most of their money from rapping. You know, they have, like, business ventures. That's like, true. Uh, I happen to know Diddy is involved with uh, producing, like, well, what's it called? He manages other rappers. And oh, yeah, same he has thing a label. with Dr. Dre. Yeah, Dr. Dre has his beats and yes. manages other rappers. And Master P, yeah. Yeah. So is rap music showing signs of feminization? Yes. Yeah, Sadly. I think it's pretty obvious. There's... The growing popularity of rappers you might call gay or androgynous. Yes. Like who? Who do you have in mind? Uh, well, Jaden Smith, uh, Lil Uzi Vert, I believe, and Tyler, the creator, he may or may not be. Uh, but then, of course, the biggest one is Lil Nas X, who not only is, is he obviously a homosexual, but he was twerking on Satan in that last video that had a big bunch of controversy. I actually didn't shoes. know he was openly gay. Yep, very. And he was making out with some backup dancers on stage a little bit ago. I thought ago. he was just a freak. Okay. <laughs> no, no. He, and, and this it's not huge. It's not like a huge epidemic or anything. And certainly if, um, if Buck Breaking, the movie, has anything to say about it, it's going to put a stop to all that mess. Tariq Nasheed is going to rush in and save the day from all this feminization in the, in the black community. But if, if he can't, then um, it, it'll probably slowly grow. You know, I saw a Lil Nas X children's book in Target. Oh yeah, like the he like, wrote it. It's it shows it's, him with like the Old Town Road, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a book about being country. It's ABCs of living living as a country boy. I mean, I guess he basically was like a nobody. I don't know that he was a country boy, but he was a no one, and he just decided to write a song about Red Dead Redemption. Oh. That's what Old Town Road is based on. <laughs> he was just apparently he's just playing it. He said, "Man, I'm gonna make a rap song." Yeah, Old Town Road. That sounds good. <laughs> then the rest is history. Uh, then there's the female rappers. I mean, we all know about Salt and Peppa, Queen Latifah, Lil Kim, Missy Elliott, and then we started to get into more modern era, our era, and it was Nicki Minaj, and then Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B, and here we are. And I think uh, rap has suffered for having those last few. You know, especially I, I like, Cardi B. Yes, especially I like Missy Elliott well enough, and Nicki Minaj has us. She has her place, you know. And, and I'm not gonna say that I don't have some of her songs on on my playlist. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to admit that. But Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B, I've heard them described as a dump truck. <laughs> their voices are dump trucks, and it's that's true. Cardi B style is just so annoying. All her songs are, they give me a headache. Yeah. Ba da 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 da. It's just. <sighs> well, you should go. Have you ever seen that video of Snoop Dogg? And he's sitting with all like the old school rappers, guys. He's sitting there with like Dr. Dre and some of these other dudes. And he's making fun of, or maybe it's 50 Cent. He's there too. And one of them starts making fun of like the modern rappers, like the Migos. He's like, I don't know who started this this stuff, but it's like the Migos is like, and he, everyone starts laughing because it's so true. Like, the way the Migos rap is always the same, and it's what all rappers are copying now. And it's just it's it's not an attractive flow. It's not it's not music to the ears. It's not appealing in any way. And I think the female rappers are kind of falling into that. 
Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Especially Cardi B. She just does that. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah. It's it's hard to You can turn any it. song into a Cardi B song just by doing that. <laughs> and it makes it terrible, even yeah. if it was a good song before. And you can also mention how these these newer female rappers, they just emulate the male rappers by bringing overt sexuality into it. Yes, which you can call me a hypocrite, but it's okay for men to do that because that's just – it just is. And it's not okay for women to do it because traditionally I just don't feel like women should be doing that. That's traditionally not how they have, have gotten where they need to get. Well, men shouldn't be doing it either. I, and generally, yeah, but I think it's more excusable. I mean – Boys gonna be boys, right? You're not allowed to say that these days, but I'm gonna say it. It's the Sons of Antiquity podcast. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna spit it. I'm gonna spit the truth with an F. <laughs> so, what are the takeaways here? Masculinity is on the decline, and rap music may be its last stand. Rock and roll was the more popular form of male characters, artistic expression. I'm sorry, until the '90s when rap really took over. Rap music began as a means of masculine expression for disadvantaged youth and grew into a multi-billion dollar industry. You could say that rap itself started from the bottom. Now it's here. The poets of antiquity didn't come close to the wealth of modern rappers, yet they were arguably more influential. Absolutely. Uh, Feminism will always find a way to ruin what men have created, and rap is no different. (laughs) Women women always have to enter men-only spaces. They do. That could be another episode. Wait, maybe a hot takes episode. I don't maybe think it. it's <laughs> may get canceled if uh, if we put that up as a full episode. Although I will say this: you can say whatever the f you want on Bitshoot. You can. So maybe it could be a Bitshoot exclusive. You want? You know, send us an email for you know our how many subscribers do we have? Fifteen on Bitshoot, I think. Uh, we have sixteen. Probably fifteen thousand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got to bump up our numbers. Send us an email. What controversial topics would you want us to talk about? And we will post it only to BitChute. So shoot us that email. Add us on Twitter or Facebook. All right. Will there be a renaissance in masculinity? Has it already begun? Is the Sigma male mindset the path forward? Um, um, excuse me? It's grindset? It's oh. a mindset of grinding? Oh, gr- okay. Yeah, it's the grindset. Sigma, right. Sigma male grindset the path forward. Or will GigaChad lead the way as if I know what any of those words mean? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll give you a quick synopsis or just a quick answer. Uh, the Sigma male grind set is doomed to failure because it is just pathetic. It's basically MGTOW. So, no, Giga Chad will lead the way. Uh, will mumble rap ever die? Mm, I don't know. What do you think, Evan? I think it'll just keep getting worse for a little bit. Yeah, probably. Uh, will it be worse than the movie Idiocracy? I know you haven't seen that, but... Uh, I would say, just to answer it for myself, yeah, it'll probably get worse than that before it gets better. I mean, we didn't think it could get this bad with mumble rap. and It's bad. We thought it was bad with uh, Lifestyle. Yeah, you know? and that was that's an old song now. Yeah. Oh, gosh. They're just, they got too much lean. They need to chill, not die so young. Yeah, like uh, Pimp C, who, who died from uh, lean. Basically. And uh, also, what's it when you have to have the breathing machine at, at night, you know? Oh, sleep apnea? He had sleep apnea, and then he got, yeah, he drank some purple drank, and uh, he died. <laughs> R.I.P. to that guy, man. <laughs> what a legend, though. Rip in peace. Rip in peace. Why do people like rap so much when it is lyrically and musically idiotic? <laughs> That's my question. It's fun. 
Yeah, I think know? that's the reason. Like people don't, most people don't take rap seriously as a musical expression. It just gets them lit, you know. No, it's not art. Like when Kanye says, "I'm the greatest artist resting or alive," that's not true. It's just patently false. Uh, Michelangelo is probably the greatest artist ever, um, but his music is entertaining and it's fun. But it's not. It's not the Sistine Chapel. And most people don't listen to the lyrics of rap. I did when I listened, but I was... He's an intellectual I, guy. Yeah, so me, me an intellectual. Analyze rap lyrics. I don't yeah, know. It's, it's, it's shameful the way it's going. Lastly, will a rapper ever be president? Will it be Kanye? N- won't be Kanye because he's an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, he had a shot. I think he blew it. He's just crazy. Most... You know, you listen to a podcast that has him on as a guest. Some people are like, this is just so enlightening. Like, his, he's just on a whole other level. Like, yeah, he's on another level. It's just not a good level. Or way sane, lower. Yeah, <laughs> sane level. It's just I like, agree. A, like a druggie who's rambling. All, like, just doesn't even know what he's talking about. He can't even keep a, a, the same thought going for more than a minute. Yeah. He's always going on tangents. I agree. It's sad. Yeah. Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No. All right. Well, that is all for today's show. Join us again next time for even more ancient wisdom. And I still got love for the streets. (laughs) 